You're about to hear a relaxed three-way conversation featuring the head of impact finance at a Dutch multinational banking and financial services corporation and a bright young Rwandan agro-processing entrepreneur whose company makes bread and other baked goods out of sweet potato. My name's Andy Lemasugu, and this is part four of African Tech Roundup's seven-part deep dive into the progress being made in advancing entrepreneurship and job creation in fragile regions of Africa and the Middle East. On this episode, you'll learn about the resilience and business savvy required to launch a company while young in one of East Africa's most promising economies and come to terms with the caliber of innovative thinking that legacy financial institutions must acquire in order to back budding entrepreneurs in frontier markets like Rwanda. A very big thank you to Spark for partnering with us to present the series. Now, Spark is a Dutch NGO that's backing many promising entrepreneurs in fragile regions of North and Sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. And I'll be sharing a little more about them later. But in the meantime, do visit spark.ngo to learn more about the opportunities they're creating. That's spark.ngo. This podcast series was taped at the fringes of Spark's seventh annual Ignite Conference in Amsterdam and is an independent African Tech Rounder production. The opinions expressed by me, your host, and those of my guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the presenting sponsor, Spark. Hi, my name is Iroji Sumujaneza. I'm the director and co-founder at Car Group. My name is uh, Roy Bujhaun. I've been a banker for more than 25 years. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What does being a co-founder of the Car Group entail? <laughs> Actually, Car Group is a youth ready company. We are doing um, agribusiness, uh, mostly sweet potato processing, where we are making pastries out of sweet potatoes like bread and cakes, be sweet at sea. And uh, we started back in 2014 with uh, my colleagues. Uh, we started in uh, the same high school. Is that common where you're from to turn sweet potato into pastries, or is that an invention of your own? I can say that it was the first time uh, uh, in Rwanda, and uh, normally sweet potato is considered as a food for poor or food for people who are living in rural areas. So, very addition of it, it wasn't out there. And yet, it's a really nutritious, high fiber. <laughs> of course, yes. Uh, we we had different varieties, but um, in 2012, that's where we we. The government brought some new variety, which is orange fresh sweet potatoes, which they, which is the one that have nutrients, nutrition content. And then actually that's how we get inspired by using those ones to make other foods. Cause people wasn't interested to eat, uh, uh sweet pot in normal way, like boiled on something else. Yeah. Because of their urbanization and uh, also the economic development of the country. So, I mean, Roy, you work for ING in the capacity of head of impact finance. You've been with the company since 2001, from what I can tell. Is that right? <laughs> well, a bit longer. You're kidding, right? That's, that's legendary these days. <laughs> it is certainly legendary. I think uh, one of the dinosaurs. Uh, so it, it is more than 25 years. I, I wonder what 
goes through your mind when you hear a young entrepreneur like Regis, you know, without knowing any fundamentals of his business, without knowing how well it's doing, perhaps you're not even a fan of a sweet potato, perhaps you are. What's the first thing as a banker, as the head of, you know, impact finance at your organization, what goes through your mind when you hear him introduce himself in his business this way? Well, it brings me back to my own youth. I, I was born in, uh, in Suriname, Latin America. And as a young boy, I also grew uh, sweet potatoes and watermelons, etc. I, I, I sold them at, on the streets when I was, I think, seven, eight years old. So I really, I really understand what it means to be a micro entrepreneur in that sense. And uh, as a banker, I've been uh, financing micro entrepreneurs worldwide. I think till date, more than one million uh, loans provided. I've been educating, uh, especially women entrepreneurs, uh, more than 25,000 of them and trained more than 50, 450 women to set up their own business. So, um, I'm really very supportive for entrepreneurship and especially my entrepreneurship. I think it, it, it's the best way to create your income and, and make a living out, uh, and not be dependent on, on social securities, etc. So, uh, I'm, I'm really a, a strong advocate for entrepreneurship. If you were trying to determine the investability of his entity, again, now you're going from the nostalgia of knowing what that must feel like to be in his position, so, you know, in, 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 in the position of someone like Regis. Once you sort of pass that and you put on your banker's hat and you start to ask the question, is this business worth investing in? What are some of the questions that immediately come to mind? Well, you know, the, the surprising thing is that in general, when people think about uh, getting a loan from a bank, they think you have to have the right uh, assets, uh, collaterals, uh, um, income, stable income. Isn't that true? The first thing is uh, that we look to the entrepreneur. Is it a good entrepreneur, you know? And uh, it is more important, let's say I uh, make the distinction between ability to pay and the willingness to pay, you know. The first and most important thing is willingness to pay back, you know, trust in entrepreneur. And then the rest will come, uh, the financial uh, assessment, etc. So that is the first thing I will look at. And especially when you look to small entrepreneurs and micro-entrepreneurs in developing countries, the willingness to pay is the most important part. Because it's a, it's an informal economy, um, incomes are unstable. You know, uh, you make some profit, uh, next month you will make some loss, etc. But when it is a trustworthy person, and it is person that has the willingness to pay, then I would be interested and willing to invest in this entrepreneur. How many people work for you right now, Regis? We have now twelve. And so take me back to when you and your co-founders uh, sat down and thought, one, let's start a business and, and then talk me through, two, how, you know, you decided on this business. Actually, it, uh, it started back in 2014 when I was at university. So I did agriculture, economics and agribusiness as um, a person who grown in the rural area and I used to eat almost... Uh, three times a day sweet potatoes so normally sweet potato in 25 years back was um, among the uh, basic food in our country but it, after now 25 years so many people has 
a lot of options of food. So that's cause that not mostly the urban people don't interested in eating sweet potato again. And um as a person who degree culture economics, when I was in the third year of my university I was looking something on working on my subject uh, in a dissertation and uh, I looked around in my community and I found that actually sweet potato has a lot of um, post-harvest losses because of the culture of how the people are taking it and I say oh, why people are considering sweet potato like this sometimes there was um, I think it was in 2000 there was a surplus uh, of sweet potatoes Every corner of the country, there was sweet potatoes, and they, people started feeding the sweet potato animals. And uh, when I was asking myself why sweet potato is considered like this, I say, oh, let me work on it to know exactly why people are taking sweet potato like this. And uh, I decided to work on it, and um, let alone uh, finish my studies and at university of course the same time i was uh, finishing my dissertation so i realized actually sweet potatoes the way people are taking it is not the real one it's actually good for our country because nine out of ten household they are growing sweet potatoes and um you talked about the nutrition content of that the, the orange fresh sweet potatoes and then we have a problem of malnutrition for our country, I say, how can I make something uh, different so that people may benefit the nutrition content of these sweet potatoes? So I started thinking about um, making something uh, from the sweet potatoes. I started making donuts. and um, uh, But the first idea was making pasta, actually, the macaroni, the, the noodles from sweet potatoes. I tried so many times and I failed. So I could have told you that wasn't going to work so well. (laughs) I wish you'd just given me a phone call and be like, Andy, do you think making pasta from sweet potatoes is going to work well? I'm very fussy with my pasta. In fact, the, the whole, the whole whole wheat pasta thing, I I don't get it. I know, I know it's only marginally better than the, the, you know, than, you know, semolina, regular semolina. And I reckon it's just not worth the discomfort. I'm, I'm honest. So I'll just go, if I'm going to go for, for pasta at all, I'm going to go for the real thing or nothing at all. So anyway, I'm messing with you. It can be possible. It can be possible. It's a matter of investment. That's why we fed a lot of time and we didn't get a chance to have some laboratory to, you know, we were using a traditional method to make, to make it, but it's really feasible. But the problem was um, investment and also then have some infrastructure or some laboratories to make trials. And to be fair, I have seen I have seen pasta made of veg- you know vegetable products. And my all the before all of my plant based friends um, hit out at me, <laughs> I need to correct myself. I'm sure there's decent pasta made from sweet potato out yeah. there. So I'm going to ask you to carry on your story in a moment. I, I do want you to factor in Roy here uh, because there's the framing of the notion of impact in your world, right? Listening to uh, Regis unpack his story in this way, does this vibe with the way impact is defined and does it inform the way in which you look to make impact as a banker? Yeah, well, I've, I've been focusing on creating jobs, uh, SG number eight, decent work and economic growth. Because I think uh, with decent work, you can create a decent life, you know, uh, because uh, with a job, it doesn't mean you only create an income but you are part of society and you can have a meaningful role in that society. And of course, 
with the job comes income and with income you can pay for your uh, bed uh, bath and bread as we say in the netherlands you know those three things be decent living and uh, you can also create jobs that gives decent living for other people so what he has been doing is creating jobs for other people as well not only for himself feeding so many families i mean he has 12 people employed those are 12 families the 1 million loans i mentioned i have been providing worldwide you know if you would calculate that per family there are maybe on average 5 people i've been impacting 5 million people you know feeding 5 million people so this is indeed what impact social impact means for me creating jobs i wonder if when you started it how much of you know wanting to impact your community was part of your thinking or was this really just an entrepreneurial burden just to create something great and to make a living or was it was it bigger for you than that actually the time i was collecting data from farmers i was shocked because most of the farmer they were saying that you know we are growing it but uh it's really a problem when we are harvesting and don't have a market for it and um i remember when i was collecting i say i told to them that maybe next year i will come back with a solution and uh, now i'm so happy when all the time they are supplying sweet potato to my factory and they most of those one we we worked together when i was collecting uh, the data are so friend of mine the, when they have um, parties they invite me because you know we are now exchanging they bring they bring the their produce to our factory and we give them the money and now they are generating incomes that's what mostly i'm really um proud of because when i see them happy now you know see i want to reach so many farmers as possible so and then making money it's another but first of all adding value to the, the sweet potatoes making uh the farmers uh, making some incomes from the sweet potatoes but also reducing post-harvest losses of that sweet potatoes so it bugged you to see the waste it bugged you to see people you know pouring their hard labor into a crop that wasn't delivering commercial benefit and i suppose it, it frustrated you that on the other end of things you know malnutrition is a problem exactly the, actually it's one of the problem we have in Rwanda and almost 30% of our children are having the problem of malnutrition while we have most of the families who have prob- that problem they they grow the sweet potatoes we are talking about but people they don't want to eat sweet potato bread the way but when they are eating bread it's like other foods you know they take it as high value food they buy it and that's why we are making it more cheap and more affordable to even to those rural people so that not just growing but also eating this food from what they produced and also benefiting their children to fight for malnutrition so back to your innovation process because i think i, I want to drill down on what innovation looks like you know i was making fun frankly of your experimentation with you know trying to make pasta out of sweet potato and and forget me for a minute because who am i uh what what i think you represent is the true face of innovation at grassroots level right so talk me through 
your thinking around why pasta was your first inclination to try once you realized you didn't have the capacity to deliver on a market ready product in the pasta space how did you then decide on bread we think about pasta because of um the time i was looking something to do i looked on the market and i found that that we import a lot of pasta and no company that produced pasta i was thinking to make something unique in my country but later on i found that even if it requires some high investment but also the market of the pasta is not really big people there are not really uh, familiar with the eating pasta and i say maybe if i can even find some investment somewhere but i will never have a market for it so i say let me move and find another product which is easier to make but also uh, the product that uh, have a demand on the market but because of the colonial influence in rwanda I, bread is obviously a big part of the diet of everyone who considers themselves upwardly mobile in rwanda right in urban in urban area when you go, go down in rural area they took a bread as a, a very expensive things but it, up to now it, uh, it's uh, becoming a familiar food but uh, before it wasn't it was only in the urban area but for now every now every, i can say that every person there is when he doesn't have money to buy food at least he has he has some coin to buy bread so that means uh, there's a huge demand for bread so that's why we decided bread is really it has a demand but i would say it's a good way to bring the nutrition content we we are looking from the sweet potato into food which can which can be consumed on many people as possible so we say let's start with the bread actually as i said we started with the donuts i don't know if you know donuts but it, yeah it's donuts was was not meeting our goals because when you make a donuts you have to use a lot of sugar and oil to fly and then say you know we are targeting health food and then donuts is not really making health uh, food so let's make a bread at least so when we are trying to make a bread was really saying oh now we don't have to use sugar we don't have to use oil and sweet potato is now successful in a bread actually we worked with uh, one a guy from netherlands to make a recipes we invited him just to share experience uh, he has in a bakery and uh, he was the first time seeing the sweet potato bread but we tried together as a man who experienced in bread making and then finally we got a recipes which is now competing on our market how does this all play against your thesis of engineering innovation at a big place like ing i imagine that there are a lot of smart people who who have you know and this is how i imagine it you have these these whiteboards with all this you know with these flow charts of of what innovation looks like and how to to accelerate it and how to incubate it and how to capture value as you know innovation is you know becomes you know sellable ideas and all these things all these buzz phrases in your world perhaps that might be or you know this is my thinking of your world anyway how does everything regis has been sharing with you compare to the the thinking of what innovation looks like and how to back it at ing well uh, you're right i mean uh, we have our own innovation 
models and uh, processes and uh, you pick the right the brightest ones and put them in a room and then you brainstorm and then I come up with uh, slides etc but basically it means that you have to uh, go through the business canvas model and that you look to the market uh, you know is there a demand uh, will there be the right price uh, will people like my bread will people like my pasta of of uh, sweet potatoes etc so that mar- market orientation uh, like he did you know the processes in fact are the same and uh uh perseverance you know i think that is the most important part you know when you want to succeed then you have to go to the process of failing trial error fail again uh, stand up again and you know uh, have the right spirit to work hard i mean that is entrepreneurship and that is innovation and that's not different from his world and ing world basically as promised here's a little more about how spark is making a difference in the world spark is a dutch ngo which provides young entrepreneurs with the tools they need to set up and grow their companies they consider helping business people access the seed funding they need to get started as a key part of their mandate since being founded by two dutch students a little over 25 years ago The organization has grown to deliver entrepreneurial support services in 14 of the world's most conflict-affected regions, including Libya, Palestine, and South Sudan. To learn more about Spark and the opportunities they're creating, visit spark.ngo. That's spark.ngo. Where I come from, the failure part and everything Roy's been talking about, well that's not so glamorous that you don't have your family going, "Oh, go ahead and, you know, figure out how not <laughs> how not to be a success," you know? I wonder if culture around entrepreneurship is challenged by that thinking in Rwanda because I know in Zimbabwe only a fool would try something that might fail. And it has to be a sure thing. Maybe you can share some of what it was really like to try this and fail try the next thing and what did your community make of that actually i like this conversation because uh, uh we started uh, making those things and uh, in 2017 i can say we failed or we we, we stopped producing because because uh, of uh, there was some problems happening there we started without planning we we started from scratch from zero we didn't have technical capacity to make a product we didn't have investment to buy the right equipment we didn't even know how which equipment we are looking for we were just trying and trying and the people when they were uh trying our product most of the time they there was no consistency in the quality we were using a traditional method to make a bread traditional oven no traditional way to proof the bread that's putting on the sun waiting for the sun, the, the heat from the sun and uh, when you put the bread on the oven you know there is no regulation of the temperature sometimes it went good and other time it's not when the people are saying oh your product is not <laughs> really good sometimes it's good other time it's not good and we decided to stop because we didn't earning some money and uh, but when it comes to the people who was sowing us in um, our uh no ecosystem they were saying you know oh cari group is now closed you know you see that's that that's how young people do it and even some ministers some government officials they used to say you failed you failed you failed but i i was not thinking i'm failed because i was even 
we stopped because we want to go back do some business plan looking some you no know, different investment either in the bank or somewhere else but but also we wanted to know exactly where I want to go but also which investment we are looking for which equipment we are looking for so we designed the business plan and then we um send different to different banks finally we got a fund from one of the government uh, uh, uh business development fund and after getting the money from the we now we bought uh, all the equipment the modern equipment and then after making the now the bread all the people are now coming on me no all the time i receive many guests to my office like looking for success stories and uh, even the government officials are now using me as a, you know a successful young person but it, some years back they were saying i'm fed that's what i call making a success of a brilliant failure amazing story well done yeah you were you were nodding throughout his yeah. throughout his sharing i wonder how far removed at times the reality that you know regis is talking about is from the the more comfy uh you know high rise offices of 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 a bank like yours do you think there's a disconnect in appreciating what you know engineering success really looks like how long it takes and perhaps the nuances around you know what entrepreneurs have to go through in different contexts and what you know the role of community and and, and enabling structures etc You know I I wish sometimes that I was an entrepreneur and don't have this big organization behind me and and uh, you know it is also sometimes limiting your flexibility and and uh, for example uh, I started one and a half years ago with an innovation I wanted to uh, build a e-scoring card you know uh, for small farmers uh combine uh, satellite data financial data social data and uh by combining this make a risk profile of these farmers and then you could finance them at a much cheaper rate than they are currently paying within ing it was a nightmare really you know this big organization moving towards uh a innovation small innovation for ing uh far away in developing countries no connection at all almost impossible to do it took me one and a half years and then when we were almost there and he said no sorry but you it took you too long you know you now have to start some new project and uh, put your attention to that part you know he has the opportunity to just continue you know and again based on this brilliant failures he had the time to make the failure he made a success out of it and uh, again i mean i wish sometimes that i had the opportunity to become uh independent social entrepreneur and come up with these kind of bright ideas <laughs> sounds like a little bit of fomo and i wonder if it has something to do with how um i suppose modern day capitalist structures measure or demand progress and the timelines the timelines in which success has to be engineered or created and and value has to be captured. Do you think that's part of the problem? I mean in this context, I mean Africa I think broadly speaking not to lump us all into one big monolith. I think broadly speaking requires a fair bit of time for anything to work and work well. 
And I wonder if there's a disconnect there, perhaps, in how long, how patient an organization like ING and frankly anyone else in a similar position might be to, 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 to offer financial support. Yeah, indeed. In a commercial environment, time is money. So you have very limited time, you know, and uh, within that time frame, you have to deliver something. Yeah, uh, MVP, uh, minimal viable product, as we call it. If after six months you are not able to deliver that MVP, uh, sorry, but uh, we pull the plug because again, time is money. Your time is money, and we have to go to the next innovation, and, um, and that is uh, frustrating. And that is also the reason I think why new innovations doesn't come from big corporates, but are startups. And at a certain moment when they are interesting enough, the big corporates come in and buy them. That's how it works. And, uh, well, hopefully I will come up with uh, some innovation and later a corporate comes knocking on my door. I want to buy it. Let's go for it. <laughs> I, I want to ask you, Regis, um, a lot of people believe that the biggest problem founders have and startups have is access to finance. And I don't want to belittle that issue, but I wonder how would have a million dollars in the first month you had this idea made a difference to you for better or for worse? For me, it's not the case. I can say that money, capital, or some the just investment as cash is not the, the first priority in the startups. What the, the startups need is just having a technical capability of making things. You can dream just having an idea. That's first. But think a second is to have technical skills to make it happen. Just to make a trial or to make some prototype. The third thing, it's about at least entrepreneurial background or skills. You can even learn entrepreneurship. It's not, you, you, most of the people cannot born with the entrepreneurial skills, but you can learn how to do business. So if you can have a, a technical skills, business managerial skills, and then it's easier to make, to have some money or to get even investors because most of the time the investors, they are looking, um, something happened. If you have a product and show the investor that you want to scale up, you want to, uh, uh, to increase the production, they may invest in you. But if you don't have anything, I'm not sure if they can invest in you. So that's why I believe that finance is not the first things. The first thing is an idea and those two skills, technical skills and also business management skills. That's what I'm believing in um, entrepreneurial journey. This must be music to your ears as a banker, like an entrepreneur who's like, I don't need your money. Is, is that a novel train of thought? And I mean, there's an oversimplification in that statement, obviously, because for every one entrepreneur who feels, you know, the money is the least of their worries, there's at least a hundred who say, if they had the finance, you know, they, they could dream bigger. Yeah, I think uh, money is not always the solution. I mean, we have seen the big uh, examples like uh, WeWork, for example, uh, to compare uh, with. Um, money is not always the solution. If the idea is good, uh, the entrepreneur is good, you know, money will follow. Money, in fact, follows a business case, you know. And if there is a business case, it doesn't have to be a financial business case alone. It can also be a social business case. It means if you are able with, their, with this innovation to save money for society, 
for example, it's also a business case, it's a social business case. Yeah? And investment will always follow business cases. So I fully agree with his uh, analysis and uh, very happy to hear this story, you know, the way he is thinking, his mindset. These are the good entrepreneurs. What are some of the misconceptions that you encounter most often about the strength of the correlation between financing entrepreneurship and creating jobs? Again, I, I think um, misconception is that if you have enough money, that you'll be able to set up a good business and create jobs. That's not the case. The business, there should be the right idea, the right innovation, the good entrepreneur, you know, knows what he's doing. And then money will accelerate that uh, business. You know, it doesn't start with money. No, it starts with a good idea. Money will come afterwards. So give us a sense of how big the business is. How many loaves of bread are you baking? Uh, if I were to visit Kigali today, would I be able to walk into a supermarket and buy it? We started actually selling our bread uh, in May this year. So you can't imagine we spent almost five years making trials and failed. <laughs> and now 2019 is where we are selling our bread. But it, because uh, there's a, there was a problem of packaging in Rwanda, we did um, our, our recipes in uh, December last year, but we said we started selling our final product in this May in the supermarket. And now we secured 25 supermarkets, and uh, those supermarkets is not the the lowest; it's the the most largest supermarket is in town. And um, we are, of course, we we are not reaching far because we are still. Um, do some marketing to convince people to buy our bread instead of buying other bread. But now we are making 100 loaves a day and uh, we are going to be the second brand uh, for bread to be certified by Rwanda Standard Board. Why we have so many brands in, in the market for so many years, but we are going to be the second brand to be certified. And um, yeah, I can say that... Uh, we are still growing because by January we'll be launching the biscuit, biscuit from sweet potatoes where we will have a, um, an automated system to produce biscuit. After launching the biscuit, what we wanted is to make the business where every investor, every bank should trust. And um, even we are going to launch a biscuit, but it's not, it will not be huge production as it is. We want to make it bigger in the future. We want to make sure that, uh, those nine out of ten households has a market for the sweet potatoes. That means we want to have, um, a big plant where we're having a storage facilities for sweet potatoes, a large production, uh, facilities for a product, not only biscuit, but also we want to, we, we tried so many products actually, not only the bread and the biscuit. We, there's a, a famous product in Western countries called the chin chin, mostly made from cassava. And we want to make it by using sweet pot and cassava to make gluten-free product. And we are targeting regional market, but also African market, because now we we have a, a free trade agreement between the, the or, or or African countries. So we are targeting even big bigger market, not the small market of Rwanda. So uh, the government already started approaching me to do that. 
and uh, they asked me to do um, the concept proposal for that dream. Maybe if I finish to make it, maybe the government will invest or we they will attract different partners uh, to be involved because they wanted to reduce that post harvest in the country, but also reducing the malnutrition in the country. That's why maybe they are interested in me. So the proof of concept is there. Now it's time to expand it. My goodness, it sounds like he's got a sweet potato solar city in the works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, I can imagine like all the sweet potato from the country just being ferried to this place. Have any extra sweet potato in, in your... Rwanda, send it over. In Rwanda, um, when I pass, everyone say, oh, this is a sweet potato guy. <laughs> There's some people doesn't know, even know my name. They just, oh, this is a sweet potato man. <laughs> so that's how we are doing it in Rwanda. The, the role of institutions and structures, governments have a role to play. Legacy institutions have a role to play. NGOs and grant funding organizations of any kind have a role to play. You know, speak to those of our listeners who might be tempted to undermine the role of institutions and, and formal structures in manufacturing a story like Regis's. We are enablers, you know, as, as a bank, for example. Uh, we are uh, in a position to attract money, savings money, and channel it to entrepreneurship. With that role, I think uh, we are able to make this kind of business is possible. And I, re I really wonder... Uh, how uh, Regis was being supported by uh, the banks. Do you have a bank loan or financial services? Actually, a business development fund is um, it's a bank that uh, government uh, set for to support the women and the young entrepreneurs. And um, they do have different programs. So they have um, one program that are supporting youth who are in agribusiness mostly. Those who graduate from university and want to venture into agribusiness. So one part, they of course, they have limited the fund. What ticket size do they typically fund? Uh, for that specific program, the, the limitation is 11,000 uh, USD. And uh, they, they have a grant for it. 30% is a grant and then 70% it's a loan. And also, of course, we will pay back in a flexible way. 12%. The, the, the African bank rate is really high. Ours is almost 16 to 18 annual. So they say we'll pay back in five years within 12% uh, percent of interest. For collateral, they can take it from your equipment you buy from their money instead of uh, asking the land of something because most of us, we don't have access to those land and the infrastructures. But when they buy the equipment, they say this equipment is um, for us within uh, years and after paying back all the money, it's yours. <laughs> it's okay for me. I'm there to make something happen. So, Creative vehicles, it sounds like. He mentioned a very important thing, you know, the, the cost of money. 16%. I mean, that's huge. And that's why I wanted to innovate this impactor to bring down the cost of money to maybe half of that percentage by using new technologies, e-scoring card, e-KYC, e-monitoring, etc., and uh, create access to finance as a much cheaper rate than is being done now. And that is also innovation, as a financial innovation to make possible that the entrepreneur can do their innovations. 
But I mean, listening to this, I mean, it, it sounds to me there's a flexibility and a, a willing to be, a willingness to be creative around supporting entrepreneurs that isn't typical of most governments, I'd say, um, whether in Africa or anywhere else, frankly. And then the, the other thing that struck me as well is everything you've talked about, you've achieved with that level of support. I mean, it's really modest, wouldn't you say, Roy? Yeah, certainly. So, and really, I'm, 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 surprised that you have been able to do it without financial services i mean it's very bad for our for our business but uh, i'm really really happy that uh, i mean again this is a very successful uh, entrepreneur in my opinion i just love the connection you guys have you used to sell sweet potato you make it into bread gentlemen thank you so much for being on the show uh, actually i want to mention that uh, on my card is a uh, director and co-founder i want to be a ceo when i have 100 people in my factory so I don't want to be a CEO for now, but I'm planning to be a CEO when I'm having 100 people in the factory. Until then, you're going to keep your card? I will turn my card when I'm having 100 people working with my factory. If not, still keep that one. <laughs> CEO on the way, I think, Roy, don't you think? Good, good luck, man. Yeah, well done. Thanks. Good luck, Roy.